You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our study through the Book of Acts. We're calling it, We Are All Witnesses, Part 2. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the Book of Acts, and get ready to study God's Word with us. Good to see you. Welcome. Hey, I want to say hi to everybody who's joining us by the web. And uh, it's great to be here in Elgin. I'm not here enough. It's awesome to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out to church today. Listen, I know that this is Thanksgiving weekend, so some of you are like, I just came because my mom made me. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. It's awesome to have you here. I hope you really enjoy the time that we spent together studying God's word. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We're going to try to do the whole chapter here in the next uh, few minutes. I have more to say than I have time to say it, so we're going to kind of jump right, right into it. I was actually getting a Christmas tree uh, this week. You know, uh, Thanksgiving comes around, you start thinking about Christmas. It's difficult in my home because I have two little Griswolds in my house, and they want to decorate immediately for uh, Christmas, usually right after Halloween, and it's like, no, no, we're not those people. And uh, so we wait for a little bit, and then, of course, finally we get the time we get the tree. It's a beautiful tree. Went out to these lovely people from our church, their Christmas tree farm. I didn't know they had those here in in Illinois. I don't see trees like that very frequently, but I was really happy to see that. I'm from Pacific Northwest, where you just go out your back door and you cut down whatever the first thing you see. Um, but it was, it, was, it was great. I was making a joke. We went with, actually, uh, the campus pastor from this church, John Nichols, and his family. We went together with them out to this Christmas tree farm, and I was making a joke about how I didn't want to choose the wrong tree. I wanted to, you know, choose the God God-chosen tree for us, and so I was walking around and loudly asking the Lord to direct me to the proper tree, because uh, I didn't want a demon tree, I didn't want anything like that, and um, I mean, I was saying it tongue-in-cheek, but John Nichols started making fun of me, and he was like, oh, you're going to pray over each tree, why don't you go and do a seance around each tree, around <laughs> the whole thing, and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Okay, but I don't know if you guys ever stop and thought about this. There are people who uh, would advocate that the normal Christian life is one where you should ask God to direct you to all of that kind of thing, right? Like, you, do, you don't want to go out and pick a Christmas tree that has the squirrel in it, right? And so had Clark Griswold prayed over the tree, he would have realized, oh, and saved himself a whole bunch of time. There are people who, who would say that the normal Christian life is in terms of your relationship with the Holy Spirit and how it is that you interact with the Holy Spirit is that you walk with the Spirit and walking with the Spirit means that you ask the Spirit questions and he gives you answers just sort of kind of as you go. Like, he's a, he, he, like, like you'd ask your spouse, where's the peanut butter? The Spirit would say, it, you know, it's over there. You can actually have those kinds of conversations. In fact, I had a friend who uh, for, for years she would sit down and she would hold uh, a, a little a little book open, uh, not the Bible, but she'd hold her little book open and she'd hold a pen and she'd say, Lord, where are you today? 
when, it, when she told me this, I said, well, what was, what's the answer? And she, she said, well, often the Lord will tell me I'm walking to and fro among the trees and the forest, whatever it is. And I was always like, you know, I think he's at the right hand of the throne of God. I think that's what the Bible says. But you can, like, her thing is, yes, I know the Bible says that, but I'm trying to hear from the Lord now, a fresh word from the Lord. And that, that's what we should that's what we should do. That's the way we should go about our everyday life. She said that that's the way we should go about the mission of God, right? I know some people who do a thing called a treasure hunt. Treasure hunt is when you, um, you know, you, they go to a mall and they gather together in a little semicircle, maybe five of them there, and they will say, all right, Spirit, speak to us about who it is that we're supposed to talk to today. And they close their eyes and they would say to each other, what are you getting? What's the language that they'd use? What are you getting? And what they mean by that is, how is the spirit revealing to you the person is we're supposed to speak to today? One of them will say, I see red. Okay? Someone else will say, I, I, I see a beard. You know? And someone else will say, I see, I see a black belt. Santa, right? I'm supposed to go talk to Santa. Well, you know, but okay, so they, they'll say that, and then they'll say, all right, so here's what we're looking for, somebody who's got a black belt, who's you know, wearing red and who is got a beard. And so they'll go into the mall and they'll look for this person, right? A treasure hunt. And then they go to that, but they find somebody who kind of looks like that. Sometimes they fudge a little bit. It's a white belt, but close enough. So they'll go up and they'll talk to the person and say, God sent us to you to talk to you today. They have, I mean, admittedly, they get some really interesting conversations going through that. Sometimes, I mean, you know, everybody's got a story. And so oftentimes they'll talk to the person and the person will have some grand story about what's going on in their life. They get to pray for them and those sorts of things. But the question has come up in my mind when they told me that, is that the normal way for us to actually interact with the Spirit as we go about our lives and as we go about His mission that He's called us to do, right? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Is that how it is that we're supposed to do? Lord, what are you getting, you know? What am I getting? This passage in Acts chapter 10 is actually a really interesting picture of how the Holy Spirit works both in the mission of God with his people, but also you know, this is the everyday, what is the Spirit supposed to do? What should you be expecting from the Holy Spirit in terms of leading you, in terms of you know, reaching out to your neighbors, in terms of how active he is, what should I search out, what kinds of information should I search from him, if any, what, like, how do I get it, all of that kind of thing. We're going to see in this passage four of the many things that the Holy Spirit does. There's lots of things the Spirit does, but in this passage especially, Luke is kind of communicating, here's a bunch of stuff that the Holy Spirit does that you should expect the Holy Spirit to do in, in your life. So here's the first of them. Uh, the Holy Spirit leads unexpectedly. The Holy Spirit leads unexpectedly. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, this is a town on the coast. It's like, the, it's like a port city. So a significant place where people are traveling through. It's a place actually where Paul the Apostle was sent from there to his hometown Tarsus. So like if you wanted to go on a boat trip across the Mediterranean Sea, you start at Caesarea. So at Caesarea, there was a man named 
Cornelius, and he was a centurion. Now, it's really interesting. He's a, he's a centurion living in Caesarea because, you know, when you're a retired military guy, which is what a centurion was, he's retired because in order to become a centurion, in order to be actually in charge of something called the Italian cohort, you've had to be in the military a very long time and reach a status so that you get, you know, the cherry location. You get, to, you get to pick to go to Hawaii if you get high enough in the military, okay? Well, that's what this guy's doing. He, he's, he's a centurion. He has been in charge of 60 to 80 troops for a long time. They're kind of the backbone of the Roman military. And he has gotten to the point where he's able to go and retire in a lovely seaside town. He's probably got a view of the water and plays Froth. I don't know if they played golf in those days, but probably Frisbee golf, without a doubt. So he's out there. He's a centurion, what was known as the Italian cohort, well-regarded person in the community. Highly paid, highly regarded, the kind of way that you would regard somebody who's a Navy SEAL. The centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, he, now, here's the difference between him and someone else. To be a centurion in the Roman military means that you have to adhere to all of their gods. In fact, you have particular gods that you worship each day. Oh, God Midras or Mithras, come and help us pursue our goals as a military. This guy, though, was a devout man who feared God, Yahweh, the Jewish God. With all his household, and he gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. So he's not your normal Roman military guy who's the oppressor of the Jewish people. He is, yes, been in the military for a long time, but he is quietly, which is how you'd have to do it, right? You don't like trumpet to everyone. Hey, I'm a, with the Jews. <laughs> He's quietly started to adhere to the Roman, or sorry, to the Jewish religious tradition. And he's a really good follower of the Jewish tradition. He's not fully Jewish, but he's what we call a God-fearer. He's sort of on the edges of the community, and he's, you know, he gives money to the, to the Jewish people. He, he tries to help out wherever it is he can. He's kind of connected to the synagogue a little bit. So a good Gentile man. living in Caesarea. And about the ninth hour, uh, it's about noon. Okay? Oh, take it back, actually. Noon's later, that's 3 p.m. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, uh, he's probably praying. The ninth hour is a normal time for Jewish people to pray, and so he's adhered to that. And he sees an angel of God, a vision, and says, Cornelius. And he stared at him in, in terror, which is what you do when an angel interrupts you while you're praying. For all of you who have had that experience, I'm sure that's what you did. Yes? No? You haven't had that yet? Well, just wait. He, in terror. He said, what, it, what is it, Lord? Uh, this does not mean. Uh, you're God. He's saying, what is it, sir? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. 
Now that doesn't mean that he's earned some sort of merit with God. What it means is that he's basically been obeying the Jewish law to such a degree that the Lord has, it's been like a lovely aroma to God. Hey, I've given a law to my people and even the people who are Gentile. There's a Gentile guy who's actually adhering to the holy law and his obedience to that law is like a sweet aroma. It's like a memorial before God. So you're, you're a really good Gentile dude. So send men to Joppa, it's about 30 miles to the south on the sea, sorry, uh, yes, south, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with Simon a Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he, he called uh, two of his servants and a devout soldier. See, you're not gonna... Everybody under your charge is not going to be really respectful of your fact that you've denied the, the, the Roman religious tradition and adhered to the Jewish tradition. And so there's a couple of people kind of under your charge who know, are kind of in the know. And these are the guys. And he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Everything. Hey, guys, I just got a visit from this angel. And you need to go down and you need to visit Joppa. And you got to find this guy, Peter. Well, where are we going to find him? He's staying by the sea with another dude named Simon who's a tanner. So these guys are going to head off, and they're going to try to find this. Now, camera scans to another party. We were up in Caesarea. Now, we're going to Joppa the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up at the housetop about the sixth hour, around noon, to pray. So here we are. We scanned over now to Peter, the apostle. He's been in Joppa for a while, staying with this guy named Simon the Tanner, and he decides he's going to go and pray, and he's going to go up on the housetop, just like you do, right? That's what you guys did this morning. You got up on your roof, and you were praying. In, in, in those days, if you wanted to have a place like you have a patio, you, you'd use your rooftop. Uh, flat roofs, you could climb up there, not a lot of people bugging you. You might, you know, you might have, if you go to parts of the, of the country, like if you go to Southern California, they still do this. You know, they have rooftop patios and then you can look off into the ocean. That's what this was. So he's up there and he's a quiet solitude. I'm going to pray. The problem, of course, was that it was noon. You guys know what happens at noon, yeah? Yeah, you get hungry. Yeah, you know, because that's why you're here early at church today, is so that at noon you don't get hungry. Well... It's noon, he's a bit hungry, it's the lunch hour, and he's starting to feel it a little bit. He became hungry, and then he wanted something to eat. But while they're preparing it, so the smells are coming up from below, you know, that smell, a lovely smell of broccoli and cauliflower. No, it's not that, right? Because Christians don't eat that. So... It's lovely smell. If you pick your thing, I don't care what it is, chicken or turkey, okay? They were preparing it. He's hungry, and he fell into a trance. Now, I've got, we got to stop here for a second. The way that Luke has presented this material is very much the same way I would describe what happens to my son when we're out and it's noon and he hasn't eaten. 
Okay, I make jokes about him that he has an alter ego named Shmahosaphat who shows up when he's hungry. He's like a living Snickers commercial where this, he just becomes this other human being. And if I asked him in that moment, son, are you seeing visions? He'd be like, yes, I'm dying. No, you're not. I hate you, Shmahosaphat. Go away. Bring Ethan back. And he fell into a trance. Now, the way that Luke, again, he's presenting this is that we're not sure where this trance comes from. In fact, Peter doesn't know, ultimately, if it's due to the hunger and the smells or something else. In his trance, he saw the heavens opened, right? So the sky opens up and down from God, from the sky, from the heavens, descends something like a great sheet, a uh, tablecloth, coming down, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So it's a big tablecloth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and Eat. Now, if you're a Jewish man, one of the first things they teach you in little Jewish boys' school is Leviticus chapter 11, which is there are some animals that you're allowed to eat that are clean, and there are some animals that are considered unclean. So, little Peter, you're going to have to, in your life, steer clear of not only eating some things, but even touching those things, because God has determined that you will be holy, set apart. And you'll say, well, why did he choose some and not others? Because he's God. Well, what kinds of foods did he choose? Well, he said that there are some things that you can eat, you know, like steak. Yeah? Praise God. Yeah? You can eat apples. Praise God. Except for the first one, right? You can't eat bacon. Oh, God. You know, you can't eat pig. You can't eat rabbit. And everybody in Crystal Lake said, oh, nuts. Just kidding, you guys at Crystal Lake, we love you. You, you, you can't eat shellfish. There's certain things that you're not allowed to eat and certain things that you are allowed to eat. So... Down comes this sheet. In the middle of it is all the stuff. There's some clean things and there's some not clean things. You know, the pig is looking straight at Peter and he hears a voice. We don't know whose voice it is yet. Luke makes it kind of not clear. He hears a voice while he's been hungry and he sees all the food. And the voice says, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way, by no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I've been a good Jewish person. He, so he's trying to, okay, so this voice is coming down from heaven. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's a test. You know, like uh, Abraham, take your son Isaac up on the mountain and kill him. Maybe this is a test. Maybe the Lord is saying, hey, I want to see if you're actually going to be obedient to me. So rise, kill, and eat, Peter. The pig looks great. And he's like, no way, I am a faithful Jewish law-abiding man. I love God and I love his law. And the voice came to him again, though, a second time. 
What God has made clean, do not call common. Yeah, yeah, I get it, Peter, that you, you have this law. But I'm telling you that all this stuff is clean. Now, this happened three times. I wonder why it happened three times. Right? I'm really telling you, hear me again. I'm telling you again, right? So you do this for emphasis, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. If you say it three times, you know, every parent knows, they will clean the room. This happens three times to try to convey the seriousness of this. I really mean this, says the voice from heaven. And then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Uh, this is a weird, weird vision. Now I want to, we're going to find out why this was given. But before we do, can I just stop here and kind of make my first point regarding the role, the way the Holy Spirit works. Um, one of the things that you need to recognize here is that Peter nor Cornelius were expecting any of this to happen, Right? They, they did not sit down in the room and say, Lord, speak to me. There are lots of people who will look at a passage of scripture like this and they'll end up saying, see, see, God is talking to them. That's the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to go up on your mouth, on your housetop and start praying and God will start talking. It was a surprise to both of them. Peter's not expecting this. Cornelius is not expecting this. It's an interrupted moment for both of them. And this, guys, this is the way that the Holy Spirit works. You, you probably should not in your life expect the Holy Spirit to come and say to you, you know, kill and eat. You should probably not expect the Holy Spirit to start telling you which tree to buy. You should probably not expect the Holy Spirit to tell you explicitly which college to go to or which spouse to have or which, 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 which. You shouldn't probably expect the Holy Spirit. I know we desperately want the Holy Spirit to say this and we love to take passages like this and say, see, it happened to them. Yes, but it happened to them at the Holy Spirit's initiative and not theirs. This is the way it works all over the book of Acts, guys. I mean, like Acts chapter 8, what you've got is you've got Philip. He's in Samaria doing the mission of God. He's having great fruit. The Lord is moving among the Samaritan people. And then the Lord just kind of shows up and says, hey, I need you to go to the desert road. Okay. He, he does not expect this to happen. It just sort of happens out of nowhere. The Lord interrupts him along the way. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas will be worshiping the Lord again, uh, uh, with everybody else in the church in Pisidia and Antioch. And the Lord, through a prophet, will say, hey, get Paul, get Barnabas. I want them to go on a mission trip and start planting churches. Before that worship service, Paul and Barnabas were not told that they went in and said, Lord, tell us what we're supposed to do next. Because the Lord had already told them what to do next. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I've been, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, they got their marching orders. They're going on the marching. And the Lord interrupts. 
And that's the way it works. Um, look, I, I'm telling you this because one of the things that I've really noticed around the Christian church is kind of a seance approach to, inter, to communing with God. And uh, what I mean by that is, right, if you want to hear from the Lord... What you should do is create an atmosphere. This is what you're told, to create an atmosphere where the Lord is going to speak to you. Did you know that the Lord speaks to you when you create an atmosphere? He needs to have a candle. He needs to have the fireplace. You need to have the snow falling. You need to sit by the window. And you need to close your eyes just a little bit and say, speak to me. You need to be outside. You need to be by a tree. You need to be all alone. You need to have a book. Guys, there's whole books that are written like this. You need to have a book. You need to open it up. You need to get yourself your coffee. Coffee helps. You have to have it there. And you have to start talking to the Lord. Lord, show me where you are today. You, listen, you don't have your Bible open for this. You push the Bible to the side and you say this and the Lord will tell you. But I'm telling you, this is not the normal way for God to commune with his people through the Spirit. It's not the way it works. If you want to hear a present word from the Lord, take up and read. The Spirit speaks through his word and there might be an occasion where you're in prayer on your rooftop and the Holy Spirit shows up and says to you, I need you, I need you to understand that you, know, you can eat all this stuff. You might be in prayer and he says, I need you to go down to Joppa and find Peter. He's living with another Simon by the sea. That might happen, but it might not. And if it doesn't happen, you're not missing anything from the Lord. The normal pattern of life is to take the mission of God that's been given us to engage in that mission and if the Holy Spirit wants to interrupt he will you got enough to do in front of you right now right so Holy Spirit leads unexpectedly second the Holy Spirit works behind the scenes. All right, so, so verse 17. Now, he's heard this vision, this trance. He's not really sure. He's still hungry. He was inwardly perplexed, which means he was stunned, which is what I would be too. Like, what in the world? I got so many questions. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm allowed to eat everything now? Is this really about food? What was the voice? Was it from God? Was it a test? Ah, why three times? I get it. It's really enforced, but I don't really understand what this is supposed to happen. You know, have you ever had a dream in the middle of the night and you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh my word, I don't know what to do with that at all. And usually it just sort of fades away. But in this case, the Lord's like, oh, I'm gonna tell you what the dream's about, brother. Well, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, it's like, hey, take notice. Check this out. The men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out, 
to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. <laughs> Seriously, it's a 30, it's a 30 mile walk from Caesarea to Joppa. So they took off and they were walking from Caesarea to, to Joppa. Then they got to Joppa, they had to ask around to find out where this guy lives. They asked a few people, I don't know, the shopkeeper, oh, I know Simon the Tanner, we have lunch together every week, or whatever, he lives over there, and they end up wandering over. They get to the gate, and they start calling out at precisely the moment that Peter's vision stops. God, what a, what a crazy coincidence. How lucky is that? Right? Fortunate guy. While Peter was pondering, while he was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, check this out. <laughs> Three men are looking for you. Rise and go and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter, you want to know what this vision's about? It has something to do with the guys at the gate. And Peter went down on the men, to the men and said, all right, so I'm, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, all right, Cornelius, a centurion, which of course for Peter immediately, if you're a Jewish person that has been living under the oppression of the Roman military for the last while, you're like, this is not a good start. A centurion, a Gentile, oppressor, no, I'm not going. Cornelius is centurion, but he's an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. He's not just your average Gentile. He was directed by, by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. You guys do see how much this passage is just dripping with the Spirit of God right? Even the way that Luke sets it up is this, okay, we're going to first zoom in on Cornelius, and there is a vision that he has with an, and an angel visits him and tells him to go down to Joppa, and then, and then we're going to zoom over here, and here's Peter, and he's eating, and he gets hungry, and then I have this vision that has to do with food and a sheet coming down, and just at the same time, he's having this vision. They're entering the city, and then he has the vision, and then he, three times, and he doesn't, they're looking at the same time to find him, and as soon as he finishes it, that vision, here they are, they're at the gate and they're calling out while he's pondering the vision and then they're put together. It's just like the greatest matchmaker thing ever, right? Isn't it? Isn't this what all of you single people, your friends are always trying to do for you? Oh, I know a guy and then I'm gonna put you here and then together and I'll make you trip over each other. Serendipity. It's, it's, it's a matchmaking by the sovereign Lord. Which is one of the things that you're supposed to notice when you walk through the book of Acts repeatedly is that none of this is happening per chance. None of this is, none of this is a coincidence. Everything that is happening, the movement of the, of, of the mission forward, the lives of the people involved who are in their moment, not sure why it is I have this weird vision about food on a sheet 
or why is an angel visited me? They only have this narrow understanding of what's going on, but there's this grand story all around it, and this is just your understanding in part, but God is doing this grand thing all around it. Isn't that encouraging, Christian? Because you, I, I don't think you, you and I, we live with this narrow understanding of what's going on in our lives, and we're not entirely sure why this has happened or that has happened, whether it's good or it's bad. How does this fit into your sovereign plan, Lord? Show me. Well, he doesn't need to show you. He's doing it. You will see eventually. It's hard to miss the work of the Holy Spirit organizing these events. Everything works together to achieve God's ends. So I have a friend who, uh, he runs a mission agency now, but he was for years a missionary in an area that, um, that was highly Muslim populated. And of course, in the Muslim populated areas, you can't really be vocal about your missionary status. And so he was in this particular area in the Middle East. And he told me a story about something that happened. Um, he said, so there was a guy uh, this Muslim man, he, he worked in the, in the city where I lived, and so he would take the bus every day to go to the city. There wasn't a lot of room in the back of the bus by the time that he got on, so he would always sit up toward the front by the bus driver. And he would talk to the bus driver and hang out with the bus driver. And over time, you know, over weeks, you start to strike up a conversation with him, and you end up talking to him about all sorts of things. In fact, it was kind of weird. The bus driver kind of became one of his confidants. They shared all sorts of things about each other and what was going on in their lives. And bus driver eventually started to ask him about what was going on in his life, and he was talking about how hard things had been for him personally and how he needed help. And the bus driver said to him, you know, I have a, I have a friend that I'd love you to meet. You need to know, of course, that he, he's a Christian, and, and so... Just know that, but he has answers for you that will set you free. This guy was in such a low place that he was like, please give me his contact info. And so writes down the contact info, hands it to the guy. The guy gets off the, the bus. Later on that day, he makes a phone call to my friend, the missionary, who's answers and said, oh, I'd love to get together with you and talk to you. And the guy said, yeah, the bus driver, he recommended that I talk to you and stuff, and I understand that you're a Christian and that kind of thing, but it's, it, you know, I'm not from the authorities, or not. I'm just, I just want to talk to you. So anyway, they set up a meeting, they get together, and the meeting is at my, the missionary's house. The guy buzzes the, the, the apartment, he gets let in, he comes upstairs. The missionary says, oh, come sit down. On, on the couch here and I'll get you some tea or whatever it is that is that you need. And one of the things that this missionary had on his wall was one of those goofy pictures of Jesus, right? Uh, remind him of who it is he was serving in this place. He's got one of those goofy pictures of the mulleted Jesus, right? And so while he goes and he gets the, the, the drinks, he comes back and this guy has gotten up from his chair and he's standing against the, the looking straight at this picture. The missionary, he handed my friend, he handed him his drink and the guy held the drink and said, why do you have a picture of my bus driver on your wall? 
What? Well, the, yeah, this is, this is a guy you recommend. He's your friend, right? Well, yes, but I don't think he drives buses. And I don't know how many stories I could tell you like that are happening all over the world these days. The Holy Spirit is actively at work at pursuing his mission, but he's also actively at work uh, ordering the events of your life and my life. And everything that doesn't make sense in front of us, I, under, I get it, man. I, I feel that all the time. But for you and I to say, I don't know what's happening or where's God in this is just crazy in view of what's happening in Acts. It's just crazy. The Spirit is everywhere working all the time, pursuing all of his goals and bringing your life and my life to the desired ends. You can bank on it. You can act like that's not the case, like most of us do. And oh no, what's going to happen? But do you know how many times in the scriptures it says you should trust the Lord, right? Seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about what you eat or wear. Trust the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He can be trusted to bring it about. He's always done it. He continues to do it. I don't know why we're so worried all the time. Third one. The Holy Spirit involves us in his joy. Look at verse uh, 24 with me. The next day, he rose and went away with him. All right, so he's headed down to up to Caesarea with this group. Uh, some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Uh, I, I want some witnesses to see what's gonna go on when we get there. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them. And he had called together his relatives and close friends. Apparently, somebody may have gone before. You know, this is the early version of a text message is you send a messenger in front of you. And so they, somebody must have gone ahead of them and told them. Uh, so he gets all of his buddies together, his closest friends, and says, man, the, the, the guy who the angel told to come here is now coming. Okay, so when Peter entered, Cornelius met him. And what do you do when you meet the guy who the angel said is going to come and visit you? Do you think, do you, hey, how's it going, dude? Do you know? Do you pound it? Uh, I, no, he fell down at his feet. I guess that's what you do. You fell down at his feet and he worshiped him. But Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stand up. I, I'm, a, I'm a man just like you. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And then he said, This is the moment that he realizes what the vision was about. Oh, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. Like you guys understand that you're unclean. You're, you're Gentiles who are out, you're unclean and I'm not supposed to hang out with you. In the same way, I'm not supposed to eat the foods you know, shellfish or bacon. I'm not supposed to do that. You guys are unclean like, like that's unclean. But, but God has shown me, I didn't tell him, with a mighty sheet that came down, that I should not call any person common or unclean. It was about food, but not just about food. 
So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you, why then you sent for me? Um, I have a question for you. The Holy Spirit is doing all of this work, okay? He's revealed this stuff to Peter and all these sorts of things. Why is it that the Holy Spirit on this occasion doesn't actually communicate the message? Watch. Well, like the Holy Spirit sets up the whole thing, but the Holy Spirit doesn't actually preach the gospel to them. They wait for Peter to do this. Cornelius said, okay, so here's why it is that I'm here. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in the bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are, we are all here. Hey, do you notice God has done all of this stuff? I'm here because of God. You're here because of God. God brought us together, matchmaking. We're in the presence now of God with each other to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So here's my question again. Why is it that the Holy Spirit does all of these things, all of the meetings, all of the putting together, but the Holy Spirit leaves to Peter the proclamation of the message? Do you actually think that the Holy Spirit cannot speak to this guy by himself? He's... Jesus is driving a bus, guys. Why does the bus driver send the guy to the missionary? Doesn't the bus driver have the ability to say it? Yeah, why doesn't he? Put more broadly, why does the Holy Spirit not just accomplish all the stuff that God wants without the use of stupid people like us. So I don't know if you know this, it's a very inefficient process to use people like me. So why is the Spirit doing that? Why does the Spirit ask us to preach, to pray, to go, to serve? Can he just do it on his own? Well, yes. Well, why doesn't he? More people would probably be saved, I'm sure of that, because it wouldn't be in the mouths of idiots. Here's why. So my wife um, spent some time with my daughter a while ago, teaching her how to cook. Um, I'm very thankful for this now. I was not at the time, because I ate a lot of cookies with eggshells in them. Um, and the kitchen was, you know, it was a dumpster fire <laughs> when, when she would help. Stuff everywhere, you know, the, the eight-year-old, here, put this in there. Okay, you know, she's dumping all this stuff everywhere. My wife could have made cookies better. At the front end, she could have made cookies better. She could have done it more efficiently. She could have done it more cleanly. And yet here she is involving my daughter in the process. Why would she involve my daughter in the process? Gentlemen, why is it that you ask your sons to come out and help, the, help you with the car? And we're gonna fix the car. We're gonna fix the brakes. Here, hold this. Why do you go out there? The kid, he's not gonna hold it. You know that. He's gonna wander into the driveway and throw the, the wrench in the yard. 
You, why are you doing this? And the answer is, be, is because I want them to share in my joy. I want them to experience the joy that I have when I finish making the batch of cookies and hand it to my husband, me, and he smiles and says, get me milk, a lot of milk. I, I want you to experience the joy of seeing the brakes work after you did it and then have to go to the guy who's gonna overcharge you. I want you to experience the joy of doing this particular work. I'm sharing it with you. It's one of the great joys in life is seeing something come to fruition like that. So why does the Lord involve you and I in the ministry of the word and prayer and all the things that are happening? It's not because he wants to add another duty to yours or my life. It's because he wants to share his joy. Do you have any idea how great it is to be a pastor in God's church. It's a pain in the rear end. There's a book that they put out called They Smell Like Sheep. Yes, they do. But listen, I get to be the person that people come to when their lives fall apart. I get to hold the hand of people as they die. I, I get to be the person that the Lord puts his very word in his mouth and I get to proclaim it to people. I get to be the emissary of the living God week after week after week after week. When, when people go and they get baptized, they ask me to do it. I get to actually dunk people. You know, I get to hear them upon your profession of faith. Do you believe upon the Lord? Do you need it for eternal life? I get to be the one who dunks them and they come back up and I get that. I usually first hug of my new brother or sister in Christ. I'm the one who gets to lead somebody in a prayer where they confess eternal life. I, the Lord doesn't need me for any of that. And yet I get to share in all of it. And you don't need to be full-time pastor in order to do this. You do realize that every gift that you've been given, every part in your life is an opportunity for you to experience the joy of the Lord as he uses it through you. Do not, listen, do not hesitate. The Spirit desperately wants you to be involved in this. Look, there's one more point, and I'm out of time, but that's okay, I'm gonna do it next week. This is such a cliffhanger. This is such a cliffhanger. Some of you are like, I wanna fall off that cliff. No, you wanna come back. You'll have to come back next week where we get to talk about how God erases races and socioeconomic divisions. Listen, let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for your kindness and your love for us. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Father, that you show us how your spirit moves in our midst. I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, yeah, take the feeble words of a feeble man. Father, you've chosen to do this and use them, Father, for your glory. I mean, it does prove your power and your greatness that you can do something with such feeble people. And yet at the same time, it proves your generosity and kindness to us that we get to share in all the great things that it is that you're doing in the world. Would you help us to view things through that lens? 
Help us to see things through your eyes, Lord, that the events of our lives, which seem so haphazard and chaotic or in no way chaotic, they're achieving every end that you are seeking to pursue and you're trustworthy to pursue them. Father, help us to surrender to you, place ourselves in your hands and find us faithful in the mission, Lord, as we go forward and try to serve as faithfully as we can with the things set in front of us. And Lord, we wanna be interrupted. Lord, if the place that we're going or the way we're going is either not the right way or you want us to go down to the desert road or to Joppa or whatever, you tell us, Lord. But in the meantime, would you find us faithful as we take steps of obedience in front of us? You've placed people there right now to live in that moment with your power. Spirit, come. Help us in all these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.